listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. Today we have a really special guest that I'm super excited to have on for a number of reasons. I actually heard him on a Bigger Pockets interview, and he is currently working in so many different areas that are so similar to me, and he's actually in a geographical area that I want to be in. So I said, I need to talk to this guy. And like, like all of my research and all my networking, I decided to record it for all of you to listen to. So Josiah Smelzer, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, looking forward to this. Awesome. Like I'd mentioned earlier, uh, Josiah is, is currently into uh, burring single family houses. And I'm not sure if you've made any progress, but he's also pursuing apartment syndication. Yep. Okay. Well, Josiah, take us back to the beginning, man. Tell us your story. How did it all get started? Yeah. Yeah. So grew up in Florence, Alabama. I currently live in Huntsville, which is on the radar of a lot of you know, investors, one to four family, as well as apartment and Huntsville is really booming right now, but Huntsville is, pra- is my primary target market for, is it? for apartments. And I've also um, been interested in, in possibly doing some long distance burring there. So mm-hmm. I was yeah. curious to get your feedback on the, the, on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great market. It's, I live here and it's hard for me to find stuff here. So it's well known at this point, but it's booming. There's a lot of development going on, a lot of population growth, a lot of good things going on here. So it's a really, I think it's a really great place to invest. Yeah. So to long story short on my background, I'm a certified general appraiser, formerly worked for CBRE on their appraisal team. I was the multifamily specialist on that team. And I did that because I wanted to own apartments they also had me doing the majority of the mobile home parks that we got. So I got to know mobile home parks and apartments well from the valuation side. And it was really cool to get to go and see a lot of different projects, you know, from the inside as an appraiser. But I got a degree in accounting in undergrad and worked for a year at one of the big four accounting firms and audit and just miserable job for me. Total misfit for me. I have no idea why I got an accounting degree. And honestly, it's because... I've always been very entrepreneurial. And when I went to college, I just could not really figure out what I wanted to major in. And it was because like they didn't have a real estate major where I was. You couldn't get a degree in entrepreneurship. And I don't even really know, even if I did, what I would do with that. What you would do with that. W-2 job. And they're really, college is really training you, at least in business for like, you know, get the W-2 job for the most part. And that was not me. And so I just struggled to pick a major. So anyway, I got this accounting degree. I knew I could get a good job. I got a great job with it. It just, the job was not a good fit for me. So I left that and started my own appraisal business with a friend. And he trained me. I got licensed and I got started on the residential side. So I, I got to see one to four family houses in DFW. I was living in Fort Worth, Texas. And I really loved it. I loved the job. I loved being out on my own. I loved pretty much working for myself. And that kind of got me interested in this whole running your own business thing. And I was you know, 22 years old and I, I got spoiled with it because I made way better money than I did at my W-2 job at the accounting firm. And I was working way less hours and it was way less stressful, but I had way more fun. So it was like, okay, why, why did I not start here? You know? So anyway, did that for a while, bought some properties. This is before bigger pockets. This was before, I mean, I was just reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, some other things. I bought some investment properties, got them fixed up, held on to them for a while. And then I sold them because I wanted to go hike the Appalachian Trail. Nice. Um, yeah. So, so sold those in February of 08. 
And we all know what happened in 2008. So I just, ha- just happened to time this whole thing perfectly. Had nothing to do with me like trying to avoid the real estate bubble. It was more of just, hey, I just want to go hike the Appalachian Trail. And I just happened to get lucky with the timing of it. But anyway, yeah, went and hiked to AT, liquidated my real estate, had no debt, had basically all the possessions I owned in my backpack. And it was a very free feeling. Had a lot of fun doing that. Then went and got my MBA after that at University of North Carolina, got married, then uh, ended up starting my own business, which I'm running my own appraisal business now and started investing again and built a $4 million portfolio using the Burr strategy and did most of it in about a year. So really got after it and worked hard on that. And that's my kind of background in a nutshell. Awesome. So I'm curious, I want you to elaborate a little bit more on the the burrs that you're doing. I want to say when I listened to your interview, are you doing all residential type refis on those properties? Yeah. So the way that we were able to really do this so quickly, so I have I have 20 properties. So most of them are single family houses. They're in B class neighborhoods. I guess maybe we got a couple that I would say are actually in A class neighborhoods, but most are in B class neighborhoods. So nice neighborhoods rent's a little higher, professional type tenants coming in there and going to rent that property. And so it's a nice property. And we did all that using the Burr strategy. But the way I purchased and did this whole thing was I took hard money and they would lend me 90% loan to cost on the deal. And then I got private money and I would layer that in on top at 10% loan to cost. So I would use 100% of other people's money and take down the deal. And they would do that as long as I was at 75% loan to value or less. And so all my deals had to have that anyway, because I'm trying to burr out of them, right? So that was already, that box was already being checked, but I was able to use other people's money and then keep my money in reserves. And if on the back end, on the appraisal, the appraisal came in a little bit lower than we anticipated, I had some of my own capital to put in there to close the refi at 75% loan to value. And so up front, we used hard money and private money. On the back end, we refied these over. And since I've got 20 of them, we did 10 in my name and then 10 in my wife's name and used Fannie Mae for all that. So all those are locked in at low interest awesome. rates. They're conventional. And I'm incredibly envious of you. Yeah. I, have a, I have a bunch of five-year balloons floating out there. <laughs> Now's a good time to refi if you can get through all the all the red tape. So rates are rates yeah. are great well, right now. I'm at so I'm at eighty percent on all of mine, and okay. um, I was about to pull the trigger to refi into some thirty-year fixed. Yeah. And and I, I should have pulled the trigger because it was, uh, they quoted it for me a week before coronavirus hit. And then like mm-hmm. the week coronavirus hit, I called and I said, all right, I'm ready. Let's do them all. She goes, well, you should have pulled the trigger <laughs> last week because we're not going to see 80% LTV for a while. Again. Yeah. Yeah. That happened to us too. I mean, you know, if you heard the bigger pockets episode, you heard all this, but we had 10 properties ready to refi in like mid-March and right about, and we had gotten approved to refinance these. We were going to the table to sign the closing docs and the lender said, wait a minute, hold on. And then they said, we're not doing these anymore. <laughs> and we're like, wait a minute, we have, we got approved for this, you know? And they're like, things have changed in the secondary market. We're concerned that nobody's going to buy these from us. Mm. And that was their strategy was to close the loan and sell it off on the secondary market. So when nobody's going to buy it. They don't want to do the loan. And so we had to work through all that as well. And it was a lot of chaos, but the beautiful part about it was 
they were going to do our loans at like 5.25% or something. And then when we went and did it the second time, we got 3.5% on our investment properties. Yeah. So I calculated that up and that saved us nearly a million dollars in interest over the life of these loans. It's crazy, man. So that worked out. Awesome. So a couple of questions I have about doing it the way you did it. First, the reason I didn't do it is I didn't want to wait six months. So when you do it the traditional way, you have a six month seasoning, correct? No. So that was my initial perception as well. When you use other people's money for 100% of it, you can, you can refi whenever you want. There's no seasoning. So if you do a cash out refi, meaning you're getting cash back, you got to wait six months. The beautiful part about what we were doing was you use the hard money and the private money and that covers all the debt. So when you go refi it, you're not pulling any cash out. You're just paying both of those, those debts off and rolling it into one debt. And so they'll do it as fast as you want. Okay. So I need to call my lender and see about how. Because when I heard that, I was like, wait a minute. Why did no one tell me this? You know what I mean? I use private money as well, but they just give me the money and I go buy the property and then I do a cash Mm. out and give them the money back. You need them to fund it at closing and hold a lien on it if they're willing to. Okay. You just pay that off. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I knew reaching out to you was going to pay off. (laughs) The next question I have is they're all in your personal name. Correct, I assume. Well, so that's that's also interesting. They were in our LLC when we bought them with the hard money lender. They wanted them to be in the LLC. We wanted them to be in the LLC. When we refinanced them through Fannie, they required them to be in our personal name. So we had to deed them back into our personal names, close that loan. And then our lender told us that Fannie, and you got to check on this, okay? Don't quote me on this. But our lender told us that Fannie is now okay with once you close, you deeding this back into an LLC. Check, double check that, don't quote me on that, consult a real estate attorney, whatever, but I found that to be very interesting because they know that people do this, right? They know that people sure. get stuff closed and then deed it in their LLC and stuff. And he was saying that they've changed their policy on that lately, so. Paying off even more. <laughs> so my, my other question was how, how do you handle the asset protection around having it in your personal name? But it sounds like you're just switching it right back over. Yeah. I mean, when we had it in our personal name, we had an umbrella policy that would protect us, but we wanted to have them. Our, our goal has always been in, to have them in LLCs. Just it makes us rest easier. So, and you know, one interesting thing that my CPA does he's got a hundred properties and they're not, you know, they're not $200,000 on average, like ours. They're probably maybe $50,000 average, but that's still a lot of, a lot of real estate and a lot of equity or a lot of value. And what he does is he's had these things like nearly, I guess, 25 years as he's getting them paid down. He just does cash out refis and takes the money and puts it outside of the LLC. So if, if he does get sued, they're going after the assets of the LLC and he keeps them in different LLCs. I've, I've heard yeah. using leverage as a, yeah. Uh, yeah, as a protection method. Yeah. Yeah. So the LLC really all they could get, my understanding, all they could get, if they see that LLC is what that LLC has. And if there's not a lot of equity there, it's just an extra layer of protection. My problem with at, at this point is all of the wealth that I've created through burying, I have way more in the LLC than I do personally at this yeah. point. So <laughs> yeah. Something came up the other day. I was like, well, make sure they sue the LLC and not me. I'm like, wait a minute. The LLC's got way more than I do. Maybe they should sue me. You're like, make sure they sue me and not the LLC. Yeah. That's funny. 
So tell me more about the individual properties because you mentioned that they're, they're class B and class A. And I love that. When I started off, I was buying, you know, really sketchy stuff and, <laughs> and I've <laughs> since learned the juice isn't worth the squeeze. And, right. and so I'm kind of like migrating up, but as I migrate up to the nicer properties, I'm finding I can create a lot more equity and that's like awesome. And not only can I like pay back the investors, but I can put a good bit of ca- extra cash in my pocket from the value I'm creating, but they don't cash flow worth a damn. No, they don't cash flow nearly as well. Our best property is, I would say probably in an A minus neighborhood, it's a duplex. It's cash flowing 500 bucks a door profit net of operating expenses and debt service. That's about the best case scenario. I think if you're going to buy really high quality properties, right? Like, I mean, there's people out there. I mean, you can get whatever. I mean, you're going to find, you know, you'll be able to buy something somewhere for pennies on the dollar and be able to make a thousand dollars a door, but that's not the average experience, right? So most of our properties net of operating expenses and debt service, and we have almost all of these managed by a third property manager. Most of these are profiting 200 bucks a door on average. So, and then we've got some 500, we've got a couple that are like 400. So there's some that are outperforming, but on average it's like 200 bucks a door. So like our lower end stuff was cash flowing a lot better than that. But the, the thing that I love about these properties that we have is they're in great areas of Fort Worth and Huntsville that I would live with my family. I'd be happy to live there. In fact, one of them, I really wanted to live there. And I was like, well, I guess we'll rent it. But because it cash flows so well. But speaking of your family and where y'all want to live, that that brings up another question. Now that you have all of these loans in your personal name, how does that affect you and your wife's ability to buy a personal residence? So the first round of properties, we had 10 in my name. And so we went to buy our primary residence. We applied with my wife's credit and stuff. She had nothing on hers. And we didn't apply with me and we qualified to buy our primary under her. So it was no problem. And then when we went to do all the refinances, we put those on her as well. And since she didn't have all this other debt and her income's good and the properties were rented, they considered the income from the properties as well. We were good again. So, uh, and we have really good credit. So that probably helped us a lot. We had money in savings, the proper amount of money in savings. And that's the thing that's really changed with all this COVID stuff is now like where before they were looking for six months of reserves, Fannie was, now they're looking for 12 months of reserves on investment properties. So when you go and you, you refi, you know, $2 million of properties over, they're wanting 12 months of reserves on those 10 deals, which that's a lot of, that's a lot of money. So, I mean, that could be, you know, one, a couple hundred thousand dollars you got to have in reserves there. That was challenging, just moving all the money around to meet all those requirements. Absolutely. So what's next for on the Burr side? I mean, now that you've maxed out your 10, you've maxed out your wife's 10, I'm assuming you want to keep going. Are you entertaining commercial loans? Yeah, I'm, I've cut off the single family stuff. So I feel like those are, that's my comfort zone right now. I feel like I could, I'm not saying this to brag. I just feel very comfortable. I feel like I could do that stuff in my sleep. Um, and do it you, works. It do works you really find well. that your background in appraising was an asset to being able to yes. pick winners? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I run my own appraisal business right now and I'm doing residential. I'm not currently doing commercial appraisal, even though I did that in the past and have that license. But I mean, I value residential properties, you know, all the time for a living. So when I find a deal, I have really good comfort level with what, what it's worth, what I come up with on that ARV. And 
that's helped me a lot with this. So that's why I feel, I mean, ever since the bigger pockets episode, I've got a lot of people that are contacting me saying, Hey, I got this deal. I got this deal. Like send them to me. You want it? Okay. Yeah. I'll start sending them your way. But really right now I'm looking for apartments. So I want to kind of level up and try to do more doors at once. Same value add strategy, same burr strategy, if you will, but buy something that needs some, some, a little bit of work. The good thing about these apartments is a lot of times they're already stabilized. You got that income day one while you get the fix up work done, which I like, you know, so. We just put in a bid on a couple of income tax credit properties over cool. in, in your neighborhood. We, we, ended nice. up lo- we ended up losing to somebody who was willing to purchase seven different properties in a whole portfolio, but, but we're oh, definitely wow. looking in that area. Where, okay. are you, where are you looking? I'm looking in the Southeast right now. So it's broad, but you know, I'm looking for 30 to 100, 100 door deals. And the reason for that is I'm using... I've got access to a good amount of private money. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm going to do is take the private money, try to use that to buy the deal and get the deal fixed up. And then upon the refi, pay the private money back and not have other investors involved. Oh, so you're not syndicating. You're, you're... Not yet. Not yet. The awesome. syndicating is the long-term goal, but I kind of want to get this done, get some small deals going for me first, which will build up the passive income, and give me more experience, credibility, everything. And then eventually get to a point where I syndicate larger deals. So a lot of time when I talk to people about the 30 units, the pushback I get as well, they can't support on-site property management. It's just, you know, it's in this funny spot. So how would you, what's your plan for, for managing those properties, the small? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the same thing you hear on the one to four family side when they tell you you can't find deals in this market, right? My approach is if you factor it into the numbers sure. and the numbers still work, then you can, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't really get that. Like, and then they also say, well, these, the economies of scale are better at over a hundred units. Well, so of course. The competition yeah. is worse too. Right, right. Well, I mean, the economies of scale are better at over a thousand units. Why are you <laughs> buying 125 door? <laughs> you know, like the principle is the same, but like, to me, you gotta, you gotta kind of start somewhere. So you gotta like, and I want to own larger than 100 door deals. But I've got friends that own the 30 to 100 unit deals. They're doing really good with them. So (laughs) I'm happy for everybody to pass these over. You know what I mean? So. Absolutely. So you're completely done with the single family space. You're not, you're not looking back at all. I've got one flip going right now, but I'm not buying anymore as of right now. I'm trying to keep my eye on the ball on this multifamily stuff. So awesome. Well, it sounds like you're smarter and more focused than I am because I'm still trying to (laughs) juggle both worlds. We'll we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Do you have any particular markets that you prefer in the Southeast? I mean, I, of course, love all the all the places that probably everyone else does. You know, I mean, like Huntsville's awesome. Nashville's awesome. You know, North Carolina is not Southeast, but I love a lot of the markets in North Carolina, Raleigh, Asheville, places like that. But I'm okay with these apartment deals being in secondary and tertiary markets because I believe that these these states are experiencing a lot of growth, population growth. The price point's still pretty low, relatively speaking, compared to some of these other places like California and New York. And so like I, I see it as I see it as a good point of entry for me. On top of the fact that I live here and I can go see these deals easier than I can some of these other markets. But yeah, that's, that's kind of my take on the market. Like I'm most of my portfolios in Fort Worth, Texas, that's 12 hours from where I live. 
So I'm, sure. I'm perfectly comfortable with buying somewhere outside of like somewhere I can drive, you know, that doesn't scare me as long as the numbers work and I can get it managed properly and figure all that stuff out. Awesome. So what are some other things that you're doing to help with the transition? Like, what are you doing to prepare moving from single family space to the multifamily space? Yeah. I mean, you know, I've, I'm working with, I'm working with someone who's very experienced in multifamily, Brian Murray, you probably know of him. He's well known in the multifamily circles. He's, I'm working with him. He's going to be the the KP on the deals I'm doing. And that's what we've talked about at least. And so he's kind of mentoring me. And then I'm just reading as many books as I can, listening to podcasts, just, just kind of trying to immerse myself in as much information as I can. And you know, I was the multifamily appraiser on my team. So I've got some experience there. I don't have any experience buying the deals. That's what I'm working towards next, but connecting with investors. And I've had a number of people reach out that want to invest in multifamily with me when I find a good deal. So really, I'm just trying to, to go find the deal and then put the whole thing together. That's, that's the goal right now. What are you doing to find the deal? Are you doing like this off-market cold call solicitation type of thing? Or are you focusing more on, on broker relationships? All of the above. I mean, I wouldn't say we're, we're not cold call. Well, I mean, we've got some off-market data that we're using, but we're also networking with every broker we can. I mean, I'll take a deal any way I can find it. So, I mean, even if somebody finds something, and, you know, had it under contract and brought it to us and wanted to, to get a wholesale fee, I'm open to that. As long as the numbers work, I'm okay with whatever channel I can get them through. So like I'm networking like crazy with brokers. I'm trying to network with property owners, basically any channel I can go. So. Awesome. So what advice do you have for somebody who's interested in getting started in the burring? And then after that, answer the question, what advice do you have for somebody who's interested in transitioning from the single family space up to the multifamily space? Yeah. If you don't own any properties and you want to use the Burr strategy, I think you're on the right track because I think it's the right way to go about building a portfolio with the least amount of money in the shortest amount of time, if that makes sense. It's not easy so some people will say, oh, it's easy. Well, they're probably really experienced with it, right? So if, you, if you've never done a deal, you're not familiar with all this, there's a learning curve there. But I would just say like, prepare yourself. Uh, you need reserves. You need some reserves. So if you go into this with no money and you try to do a burst strategy with 100% of other people's <laughs> monies and you have no reserves, you're going to get burned badly. You Rehabs know, you always have, go over and run yeah. long. <laughs> Rehabs go over. I mean, you never the lending piece of it's never finished until you've signed the closing docs. I mean, you never know what the lender's going to do. The deal sometimes will fall through like on closing or, I mean, there's like a thousand things that can, can and will go wrong. But I would say, you know, you're on the right track. If you want to use the bird strategy, next thing you got to do is go get those relationships with the hard money lender. I would try to find private money. If you, if people feel comfortable enough with you to lend you private money, it's a really great way to speed up the process. But you're also going to need some reserves, whether that means you partner with somebody who's got money and you split equity with them somehow, or you give them some kind of return on their investment they're happy with. You got to have some money. If you don't have any, you need to figure that part out first, figure out how to have some money. Then you can go start doing these deals. But as for your question on moving from single family into multifamily, I think it's going to be easier for me to move from single to multi than it would have been for me just to go directly into multi. Some people would probably disagree with me on that, but I think the principles, I think there are similar principles, you know, buying something with a margin of safety, 
being able to add value, being able to make sure that you're properly managing something and being able to know your ARV and connecting all these, all these dots. I think there's a lot of carryover. Multifamily is a completely different asset class than, than one to four family, but I think some of the principles are the same. So sure. I would say just surround yourself with people that know more than you and just try to learn as much as you can. And you're going to learn by doing deals. And so I've got a lot to learn on the multi myself, but I'm excited about it. Awesome. So can you tell us about one of the disasters, something that went wrong, didn't go as well as planned? You had mentioned things don't, don't always work yeah. out exactly the way you want them to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the best example of, you know, a near disaster was this whole COVID thing. I mean, this came out of nowhere. I mean, you know, we were seeing some news articles here and there, but I don't think anybody really thought this is going to wipe out the the progress that's been going on in our economy and basically take everything to a screeching halt for several months. And we're all going to be walking around in masks, you know, <laughs> like I went to lunch today and like everybody is walking around in masks and it's like, Whoa, this is just like bizarre, you know? Yeah. But like we had 10 deals already done already on Fannie Mae. We had 10 that were being refinanced and COVID hit and our lender pulled our financing at the last second and we're stuck with 10 deals that the hard money guy and private money guys need their money back on and the lender backed out of closing them. So that, that was a scary feeling because it's like, okay, this is completely out of our control. We've done everything right. We've paid all our bills. Our numbers are good. Properties are renovated. We've got tenants in here and now the lender won't you know, close our loans and we couldn't sell them because they're rented, right? So, I mean, we could, we could have tried to sell rental from it. By the way, in March and April, there weren't many people buying rental properties with tenants in there because everybody was scared. They were just hanging on to their money. I guess there were probably a few buying, but anyway, so we just went back to the drawing board and we're like, okay, we got to figure this out. We've already got 10 properties in my name. We just started working on and going back through Fannie Mae and we read that they weren't, Fannie Mae wasn't doing any loans at that point. And we just went through one of my local lenders who's awesome. And he just started, started the whole process and they put us through the ringer. I mean, it was 10 times harder than normal, if not worse. And they wanted us to have double their reserves. And they went so far back that they were wanting me to give them statements from mineral rights I got in 2001 on properties, the properties that I've sold. They're wanting to see stuff like that. So it's like, I was digging up paperwork I haven't looked for in a long, long time. Can you give us a, like a, a top home run? What's the best deal you've done? Yeah. So the, I think I told you about the duplex that's cash flowing. That really, really stuck out to me because you said it was a duplex in an A-class neighborhood. I guess different geographies are different, but our A-class neighborhoods don't have duplexes in them where I live. I would say this is an A-minus, but it's in a really nice area of Huntsville. The neighborhood's nice enough that they're buying houses and bulldozing them and building brand new houses on the lots all around it. Oh yeah. So, and this is a two story brick, like very nice looking structure. So anyway, I found this thing on the MLS. When I saw it, I was like, wait a minute, this is, this is in a really good area. And why is this, why is this price so low per square foot? And then I started looking at it and I was like, hold on, this is the square footage. It seems like it's wrong. And they had listed the property at the square footage of one unit instead of two. Nice. And so the property was twice as big as advertised and the dollar per square foot was still low based off of half. 
So we got a steal of a buy on it. The rents when we bought it were 600 a door. I think we bought it for 210 and we put, I think, 40,000 in it. We put a new roof on it, painted the exterior, new flooring inside, granite counters, stainless steel appliances, all that. And the rents now, the rents on one side are 1300 the rents on the other side are, I think, thirteen twenty-five. So more, we more than, than doubled, doubled. Wow. More than doubled the rents, and then it appraised for three fifty. But that was an MLS deal, so nice. it's like there is stuff on the MLS. It's just you got to really look for it. Awesome, yeah, that sounds like a home run. So next, I just want to go into our radio round real quick, where we ask you a couple questions to help sure. our listeners get to know you a little better. The first one is, what's your favorite book? Now, my favorite business book or favorite just overall. Well, you can answer however you want. Typically, people yeah. will reply with a business or real estate book, but I have had people bust out some fictions of me. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I I know it's I know it's cliche, but probably Rich Dad Poor Dad on the real estate book. It just it's just inspiring, you know. I also love Brian Murray's book, Crushing yeah. It Through Investing in Apartments. You know, yeah. I can't remember the title. Is that what's is that the title? Crushing it, yeah. Crushing yeah. it, commercial. Yeah, commercial and apartment, apartment investing or something like that. Yeah. That's a really great book. And then my favorite book, non-business, is Papillon. It's a true story about this guy who was put in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Ended up breaking out of prison multiple times. It catch him, throw him back in. They shipped him off to this island that no one's ever escaped from. And like, it's like one of the coolest stories you'll ever read. Check I'll that check, one out. I'll yeah, definitely want, check it out. I've, awesome. I've read the other two a couple of times. Cool. So what's your favorite quote? I mean, I have a lot of favorite quotes. I love quotes and I put a bunch of quotes in my book, but I think the quote pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered is really relevant in real estate investing. And yeah. so I really love that one. I say that one all the time when I'm looking at a deal, but you can win a lot by just being a pig instead of a hog and you can really run people off and ruin your reputation and make deals fall apart. If you're trying to get too much for yourself. I so. always say this and it's, it's so true that people have the misconception that being a good business person means like being the shrewdest negotiator and getting every penny out of each deal. Yeah, no. But that's like the complete opposite from the truth. Being a great business person is like minding the relationships. Absolutely. I, mean, I pay pretty much everybody I deal with more than they ask for. And when that's I'm good. negotiating, if I can give up, I give up for the sake of the relationship. And it typically comes back tenfold. I can't say that enough times and loud enough that you, you know, you can tell when you're interacting with somebody and they're trying to nickel and dime you because they have a sense of pride about it. Like this makes me a good businessman. I got an extra thousand dollars. Well, yeah, but I'm never going to do business with you again. Yeah. And you could have made 20,000 from me in future business, mm -hmm. you know? So yep. excellent point. Excellent. Yep. Yeah. I think it's so important to take care of people that you're doing business with and, it truly comes back to you tenfold. I mean, there have been some people in my life that I did not know I would ever do business with that, you know, in some form or fashion, I just tried to help them out some way. And it's, and it's crazy how it's come back later. So I, and I didn't do it to, for it to come back, but it's crazy how it has. So sure. you never know, you never know who you're going to interact with in the future. Absolutely. So next question is what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? I mean, I do real estate for a hobby as well. So, yeah. I mean, I, I'm always- We get a lot at, of those answers. <laughs> I'm always looking at real estate. That's why I love it. It's like, it's fun for me. So it doesn't really feel like work. But I also run my own podcast. It's called the Daily Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'd love for everybody to check that out. 
Um, you know, I wrote a book titled Dream It and Build It, How to Crush Your Real Estate Investing Goals. Please check that out as well. But, you know, I've got three little kids. I try to spend time hanging out with them, doing stuff with them. I'm also a big fantasy football player. So I have my own fantasy league. I've been doing that for, I guess, 13 years now. And and also play a lot of PUBG on Xbox. Really love that game. So Got it. Well, yeah. so finally, where can our listeners find out more about you or how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, yeah. I'm really active over on Instagram. It's at Daily Real Estate Investor. And my email is on there. So you can send me a direct message or shoot me an email. I'd love to connect with you. And, you know, I'm trying to do apartment deals. So whether you want a joint venture or, you know, you're an investor looking to team up with somebody, you know, I have to work through all the proper legal channels on that since there's rules around that. But, you know, I'm looking to get some apartment deals done. So I'd love to connect with you if you're an apartment investor or apartment deal maker uh, and get some stuff done. So. Awesome. Josiah, thank you so much for joining us today. I learned a ton and I know our listeners will as well. And we'll definitely continue to follow your story. Yeah, Sterling, man. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at CrestworthCapital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.